I think that Judas is one of the greatest pictures in all of Scripture of the love of God. Did you ever notice when Judas led the mob into the garden that night, the first word out of Jesus' mouth was friend. Friend. Now, he knew who he was. He knew why he was coming. He knew what he was about to do. He knew the whole thing. But he loved him to the end. And I thank God for that. You know, the reality is we're all just a bunch of black-hearted, hell-deserving sinners. Every one of us. <laughs> you know, sometimes people hang around church a while and, you know, they dress up for church and all that. That's good. But if you're not careful, you start thinking of yourself differently than the reality. And the reality is none of us deserve heaven. Not one of us. And the only reason any of us knows the Lord is because of the mercy of Jesus Christ. And we never, never must forget that. I'm so thrilled to see all of you here tonight. How many of you had a good day today? Would you raise your hand? How many of you had a long day today? How many of you had a long week today? Would you raise your hand, please? Some days are like that. Uh, may I ask, how many of you were here last evening? I'm just curious. That's great. Thank you for coming back. And uh, of the ones that were here last evening, you people who join us tonight, you're exempt from this test, all right? Uh, those that were here last evening, would you tell me, please, how many of you had the opportunity today to at least give some type of gospel witness to someone, to speak to somebody? It may have been a testimony or a track or a conversation, but you spoke to somebody today about the Lord. Would you raise your hand, please? Keep it up big and high, big and high. That is fantastic. That's wonderful. I got a message just a few minutes ago from a fellow from another city who was here last night. He was visiting. And he said, uh, can't be there tonight, but I just want you to know that today I have the opportunity to speak to three people about their souls. And he was so excited about it. And I'm going to tell you something. If God's people would start acting like God's people again and start talking in faith instead of in unbelief, and instead of just fussing about how bad the world is, start talking about how great our Savior is, we may just see a real spiritual awakening in our communities. And that's what we're praying to God for. Well, let's open the Word of God, shall we? Open your Bible, please, to the end of your Bible again, to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 6, this is our verse. It's, it's the hinge, if you will, that both knights swing on. And we'll begin here again. Uh, let's do something tonight. I've got to make sure everybody in this room has a Bible to look at. So if you don't have a Bible, it's all right. I'm going to read from it. But get over next to somebody that does. Just scoot down the seat and look down your row. If somebody doesn't have one, share with them. Uh, let everybody have a Bible tonight because I'm going to cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time. How many of you would like for me to cover it in a short amount of time? No. <laughs> I, I really am. I'm going to cover a lot of ground in a big, a big sweep in just a moment. But it's the way the Bible ends and we are going to the great climax of Scripture. And when you come to the New Testament, somebody said, what's the New Testament about? The New Testament is all about the person of Jesus Christ. It's not about things and people and places and events. It's about Jesus. So the gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us what Jesus has done. The book of Acts through the book of Jude tell us what Jesus is doing. How many of you are glad that the same God that worked in the gospel records is working today? And then the last book of the Bible is the great crescendo of Scripture. It tells us what Jesus is going to do. So we're going to the end of time. And why would that be important to us? You know, you ask the average person on the street, what's your favorite Bible book? And even the people that don't know the Bible will tell you, oh, I love Revelation. I just love Revelation. And if you ask them, well, tell me about it, they don't really know anything about it, but they really like it. 
because they're interested. When is the battle of Armageddon and who's the Antichrist and what's the apocalypse and how's this all going to end? There's something built into every one of us that wants to know what's on the other side. Would you like to know why that is? Because you were made with eternity in your heart. The eternal God gave you an eternal soul. And that is why every person, even the people in a deep, dark jungle somewhere who've never heard the name of Jesus Christ are searching, looking for something because there's built into every one of us in the creation a longing for someone that we know is bigger than us, for something that is greater, for something that is longer than this world. Let me just tell you, if this world is all there is, this is, this is a bad deal. And by the way, I'm not the first person to say that. The Apostle Paul said something like that. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, he said, this is pretty strong, we are of all men most miserable. How many of you would like to be miserable? Anybody want to be miserable? No. This is glorious. When you come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way, you don't have to be miserable now, and you're not going to be miserable for eternity. You can't beat knowing Jesus. Look, you can't beat it. Because he comes to live in your heart now and you get to go live in his house forever. It's like David saying, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So it is for here and it is for heaven. So when you come to the book of Revelation, we're, we're going to the end because what happens in the end matters now. Look at Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 6. Blessed and holy. Are there any blessed holy people here tonight? <laughs> Be careful now, because if you're blessed and holy, it's not because of you, it's because you're blessed with the blessing of Christ and you're holy with the holiness of Christ. And in the end, look, the blessing and the holiness are always connected. We got a whole world of people, pardon me, a fast food society that wants the product without the process. And everybody wants the blessing without the holiness. Look at the verse, please. He couples them together. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But, I like this, they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. I wish you had time to explain this more, but look at the end of verse number 6. He says, those that know Christ, those that are blessed and holy, those that will be raised in the end, those that have eternal life, he calls them priests and he says they're kings. If I came in here tonight and said, are there any kings among us, any kings? Somebody said, no, no, we don't have kings in our, in our culture, in our nation. We don't have kings. No, but do you understand that if you come to know Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you get his authority, which means someday you get to rule and reign with him. So he makes us kings. And then I came in here tonight and said, are there any priests here? Any priests here? Somebody said, I know some priests, but I'm no priest. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Do you understand who Jesus is? Jesus is our great high priest. He's, he's the chief priest. He's the one who's passed into the holy of holies in heaven. He's praying for all of us right now. And when you come to know Jesus as your Savior, oh, I love this, you don't have to come to God through any man anymore because the high priest makes you a priest. So kings and priests, Peter said in another place, you have his authority and you have his access. I say again, there's nothing in this world or in the world to come like knowing Jesus as your Savior. 
had you mark something last night in your Bible, and it was this little phrase in the middle of the verse, the second death. The second death. We talked about it last night, and let's just be blunt with one another. That, that was not the most enjoyable message. Be honest. How many of you enjoy some messages more than others? Would you raise your hand, please? Well, can I tell you from a preacher's standpoint, some messages are a lot easier to preach than others. And last night's message was a very sober message. It was a necessary message. It's from the Bible. It's what I know God wanted me to speak on. But it was about what's going to happen to those who do not have their sins forgiven. They're going to be separated from God forever in what the Bible calls the second death. You ever wonder why it's called the second death? You see, we know the body's going to die. Everybody look at your neighbor just a second. You're not allowed to look at me. Just look at your neighbor, everybody. Stare at the person sitting next to you for a moment. Gaze into their lovely eyes. Some of you sat next to the wrong person. That's your fault, all right? I didn't do that. Do you know what you're looking at? Look at him. You know what you're looking at? You're looking at a certified ball of dirt. That's what you're looking at right now. And somebody said, that's not nice. That's truth. Look, God made man of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, man became a living soul. Ecclesiastes says someday when you die, your body's going back to the dust of the ground and the spirit is going back to God who gave it. So we know there's going to be a death if you live long enough. My, my wife's grandmother lived to be 100, and she said to me near the end of her life, she said, I've lived a century, but it just has gone so very quickly. It doesn't matter how long you live, how old you get. It's just a, a speck of lint on the page of human history, just a blip on the, on the map of eternity. That's what it is, and you're going to die. But if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you're not just going to die once. You're going to die twice. Because in the end, not only is your body going to die, but your spirit and your soul, which is the eternal part of you, the part that's not going back to the dust of the ground, is going to die for all of eternity. And so the Bible refers here to the second death. Tonight, I want to bring you to a different phrase, a much happier phrase. It's the, it's the other side of the story. Anybody remember Paul Harvey? How many of you ever heard him? You're telling how old you are. I want you to know that. I see these college students, not a one of them raise their hand. They're like, who is this old man talking about tonight? Paul Harvey could tell a story like nobody could tell a story. And he always built to that great dramatic pause and said, and now for the... You've heard him, the rest of the story. Well, tonight we're getting the rest of the story. I want you to mark this phrase in your Bible. Would you please, in verse 6, the first resurrection. So we've looked at the second death. Now we're looking at the first resurrection. Can I ask you a question just on its surface, all right? I'm not even going to explain it. Just at a glance, which one looks better, resurrection or death? Talk to me, class. Which one looks better? I think resurrection looks better to me. I mean, look, death down, resurrection up, right? Death, despair, resurrection, hope. Death, an ending, resurrection, new beginning. So let's take a survey, all right? This is going to be real easy. How many of you would rather be part of the resurrection than the death? Would you raise your hand, please? Now, join the club. I'm going to tell you how. It matters. It matters. Remember what book we're in? The book of what? Revelation. God says, let me pull the curtain back. Let me show you heaven. Let me show you hell. Let me show you death. Let me show you resurrection. Let me show you two very distinct ends, and you pick one. Because you can't have it both ways. 
Now, remember last night I said to you that the God of the Bible is the God of life. He gave life in the beginning. He gives life again and again. That's what resurrection is. Only God can give a resurrection. And the greatest resurrection of all to this point has been the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. In fact, I would say eternally it's the greatest resurrection of all because all the other resurrections hinge on it. If, if there is no resurrection of Christ from the grave, we are all sunk and in a world of trouble. But if Christ is truly risen from the dead, then there is a resurrection. In fact, I'm teaching right now on our daily broadcast through the book of Acts. And I've been fascinated teaching through what some people call the fifth gospel record, the the book of Acts, uh, the resurrections that are there. For example, Tabitha, her name was Dorcas. She got raised from the dead in the book of Acts. Uh, They they were having a meeting one night, and, and the preacher preached too long. You ever been in a service like that, the preacher preached too long? Somebody said, last night. Yeah, we were here last night. No, no, uh, he really preached a long time, and he preached so long that a fellow named Eutychus <laughs> was sitting up in the balcony. Eutychus fell off and broke his neck and died. Have you read that in the Bible? It's in the book of Acts. And the Bible says the apostle just went back and laid his hands on him and prayed on him, and guess what happened? Eutychus got up. That's a resurrection. I'm not going to preach too long tonight because I don't have that in my repertoire. I want you to know that. God is the God of life again. So when you come to Revelation chapter 20 and the Bible talks about the first resurrection, it's contrasted with the second death. In fact, both of them are resurrections because in both instances, some are going to be raised from the dead to go into heaven and some are going to be raised from the dead to stand before God and be judged and be sentenced to the lake of fire. But he uses different terminology because only one of them really leads to life. Look, the only way to have eternal life is through Jesus Christ. Let's, let's take a trip, just a detour, 60 seconds. Just give me 60 seconds. Hold your place right here. Go back in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15. That ought to sound real familiar to the membership of this church because your pastor preached from it on Sunday. Isn't that right? Did I get that right, Pastor? 1 Corinthians 15 is the great gospel chapter, the great resurrection chapter of the Bible. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse number 19. I quoted verse 19 a minute ago. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. Paul says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. Friends, if this world is all you have, what a sad way to live. What a short way to live, to think, I'm just here for a little time, and then I end, and and it's nothingness. No, no, keep reading, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead. And, I love the conjunction. Forgive me for using a dirty word in church like conjunction, but do you know what the conjunction is? The conjunction is a revelation. It means there's more to come. Keep reading, and... Become the first fruits of them that slept. You know what first fruits are? You farmers know what first fruits are. It's just the first of what? More to come. So keep reading verse 21. For since by man came death, that's Adam, by man came also the resurrection of it, that's Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Look at verse 23. But every man in his own order. There's an order to the resurrections. Christ the first fruits, and then notice the next word, it's very important. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. 
do something. Take your pen. In verse number 20, circle the word now. That's, that's the direction that's already taken place. It's present tense. It's in effect right now. Christ has risen from the dead. Now, Christ is a living Savior. Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, Joseph Smith, line them all up. The leaders of every religious group and sect in the world and their graves can be visited to this very day. But Jesus Christ is alive today because he rose from the dead. That's now. Now come down to verse 23 and circle the word afterward. Do you understand there's an afterward? As surely as there's today, there is an eternal day. And here's what he says. As surely as we look back and we see the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened, it's a historical fact, and we believe that, now we're looking ahead. Now we're looking to the future. This is prophecy. We want to know something about what's going to happen to us. Would you like to know about your future? Would you like to know where you're going to be 1,000 years from this moment? There was a day that you were not. But there will never be another day you will not be. I'm looking at a room full of eternal souls. One million years from this moment, we'll all be somewhere. And by the way, I think we'll remember even this meeting. It matters. Afterward is coming. And I don't know about you, I don't want to be part of the second death. I'm glad to testify tonight I'm not going to be because I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. But I want to know and I want to show others how they can be part of the first resurrection. So go with me back to Revelation chapter number 20 and let's take our little journey, all right? We're going to take a little expedition through Scripture and you're going to have to stay with me and I'm going to go really fast and if you've got a pen handy, you can make the list because this will help you go back and look at it again when you get home and review it and talk to your family and friends about it. This is what we can expect if we truly know Jesus as our Savior. I'm not saying, I'm not saying if you're a church member. I'm not saying if you've been baptized. I'm not saying if you're a good person. I'm saying if you know Jesus as your Savior, this is what you have to look forward to. Back up to Revelation 19. Because Revelation 19 is the first time since Revelation chapter 3 that the church, the believers, those who know Jesus, are mentioned. wonder why that would be. I'd like to tell you. Because Revelation 4 through Revelation 18, all hell gets turned loose on this planet. Satan has his way in the worst seven years this world has ever known called the tribulation period. And those who will be on this earth are those who had rejected Christ as their personal Savior. And where's the church? We're in heaven. So when you come to Revelation 19, remember Revelation, the curtain's pulled back and God gives you a little glimpse of where we are. Look at verse number 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice. I love that. You know, we're living in one sad world right now. You ever seen so many people bent out of shape, worked up, burdened, concerned, wringing their hands? Let me just tell you, if you want gladness and joy, it is only to be found in the assurance of your relationship to God through Jesus Christ. Let us, look, come on, people, let us 
Be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. Here it is. For the marriage of the lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. You know who the wife of the lamb is? The lamb is Jesus. The wife is the church, the bride of Christ, those who trusted Jesus as their Savior. We belong to him, and he belongs to us. Look, there's a lot of women on this planet, but there's only one woman that belongs to me. And I belong to her. Hopefully later tonight, sometime in the middle of the night, I'll, I'll join up and, and I'll see her. She belongs to me. I belong to her. We belong to one another. Why? Because we've been united in marriage. I still remember. We got married on Friday the 13th. That was the luckiest Friday the 13th of my life. My wife's from Saginaw, Michigan. I married a Yankee girl. And uh, I'm telling you that we've had a lot of fun with that. But I remember standing in the front and uh, watching the back doors open. I, I can see it now. And I got my glimpse of her for the first time. And here she came down the aisle, beautiful in every way. I married way up, let me tell you. Great? Great. You've been to beautiful weddings? Lots of beautiful weddings. But I want you to know, there's never been a wedding, never been a marriage like the one in Revelation 19 when Christ and his followers all finally get together at the same time. you never seen anything like it. So here's the first thing. Would you write it down? Here's what we have to look forward to in the first resurrection. Number one, we're going to be raised. Write down that word. We're raised. Somebody said, oh, you mean our body raised? From the dead? Oh, yeah, our body's going to be raised from the dead and reunited with soul and spirit to, to meet God. But I don't just mean your body raised. I mean raised out of this world to the world to come. I mean raised from earth to eternity, raised to, from living among men in this awful world that's cursed by sin and so much conflict to being lifted to the heights where our God is, we shall be raised. And this is the great reunion, if you will, the uniting of Christ and his church. The bride has been prepared. Christ sends the call. You know what the oldest book of the Bible is? Oldest book of the Bible is not Genesis. Now, Genesis goes back to the beginning, to creation. The oldest book of the Bible is the book of Job. You ought to read Job sometimes. It's an amazing book. It's not just about a guy who had a hard time. It's about a guy who was really coming to know God in a, in a personal and intimate way. And it's full of questions. Sometimes you ought to look at all the questions of Job and the answers of Jesus and compare Scripture with Scripture. One of Job's questions was this, Job 14, 14. If a man die, shall he live again? That's a good question. Like, that's legitimate. If you die... Do you live again? Here's the answer to that question. Absolutely. If you know the Lord is your Savior, though your body may die and cancer comes and accidents happen and people die at all stages of life, if you die knowing Christ as your Savior, you're absolutely going to live again because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. So the next thing on God's great agenda is the rapture of the church. That's what I believe Scripture teaches. And at that moment, we shall be raised to be with him. Keep reading. Look at verse number 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Number 2, write this down. We're not only raised, but number 2, we are then rewarded. We're rewarded. How many of you know, I, I saw this table over here, and you've got some kids getting ready to get, get married, right? And it's exciting. And I'm assuming this is for wedding gifts and cards and that kind of thing. And that's wonderful. And I know both those young people, and I'm excited for them, excited about their future. But when you go to a wedding, what do you do? You take a gift. Isn't that right? Well, I want you to know that when we get to glory, it's not going to be us giving him gifts. 
Would you like to know why? Because we really have nothing to offer him. No, we can offer him thanks and praise and worship, and we will do that for all eternity. But I want you to know, oh, I love this, all the good gifts come from him to us. In fact, the Bible says that every good and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. You've heard of the judgment seat of Christ. That's where believers come. That's not to determine whether you're going to heaven or hell. No, no. Lost people be at a, at a separate at a separate judgment from that. The judgment seat of Christ is where believers come, and your soul is not on the line there. Your soul is securely held through the redemption that Jesus bought and paid for at Calvary. The judgment seat of Christ is all about rewards. And the Bible describes that here because the bride is given her wedding garment and it's white and clean. You know what we are? We're dirty. We're full of uncleanness. But when we get there, all of that is going to be taken away, every bit of that taken away forever. How many of you are looking forward to that? Isn't that going to be a great day? Look, everything's going to be different. Even your body's going to be brand new, the Bible says. How many of you have lived long enough to already be looking forward to a new body? Yes? Look, even the young people among us have something about their body they wish they could change. Let me just tell you, Sunday, you're going to get a new body because the Lord's going to make all things new. But it's going to be glorious because on that day, it's not just going to be physical gifts. The great spiritual reward is that we get to be with our Lord. These are the wedding gifts. May I say to you tonight, here comes the groom. That's backwards to our thinking, isn't it? How many brides are here? You have been or you will be. Would you raise your hand, please? Or you want to be. Would you raise your hand? All right, no. We're not having wedding ceremonies at the end of the service tonight, okay? In our culture, it's here comes the what? Yeah, I mean, like everybody says, this is her day. Whatever she wants, it's hers. Isn't that right? I mean, bluntly, fellas, nobody cares if you're even there, really. Isn't that right? <laughs> Look at this. You, you don't even get a suit that's your own. You wear a rented suit. Right? You enter through a side door. You stand off to the side. And all eyes are on the loveliness coming down the center aisle. Isn't that right? Do you know in Eastern culture it was the exact opposite? In Eastern culture, in ancient civilization it all eyes were not on the bride all eyes were on the groom and i love this thought look please when we get there someday it's not going to be about us it's all going to be about the loveliness of jesus christ and the loveliness that we will have is the loveliness that he gives us we will share in his glory on that day so we're raised we're rewarded keep reading look at verse Number nine, and he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is good. Write this down. We're received. How many of you know that every good wedding has a reception? Now, some receptions are better than others. Isn't that right? Our oldest daughter got married a little over a year ago, and they're expecting our first grandchild, and I'm really excited about it. And uh, we're just thanking God for it. But I'm, I'm just going to be full disclosure with you. I actually prayed that Jesus would come before her wedding day. I really did. And I just didn't want to give her away. And if you're wondering, God didn't answer my prayer. He answered her husband's prayer. But I remember on that day we had, man, we had quite a thing afterwards. And I'm from, I'm from West Virginia, you know. And we wear shoes there. Aren't you proud of us? And have our teeth and... And we had quite a shindig. We had quite a reception. We had quite a time. 
I don't know how it is here. Do you all have full meals after weddings here? Full meals? Yeah. See, I didn't grow up that way. I mean, where, where we grew up in the hills, after a wedding, you know, you went in, got you a little piece of cake and, and threw some rice and were on your way. And when we got married in Michigan, man, they had a banquet. And I'd never seen anything like it before. Let me just tell you, when the, when the marriage supper comes, you've never seen a table like the table Jesus is going to spread. You've never seen anything like it. Matter of fact, I can prove it to you. You know how long it lasts? Seven years. Some of you say, that's my kind of supper right there. Seven years? Yeah. And it's called here, would you mark it? The marriage supper of the Lamb. We're received into his fellowship. No, no Satan, no flesh, no world, no interruption, no distraction, no war. Think about that. No need, no lack. No, no. We are just with our Lord and he's with us like he always intended it to be from the start. Keep reading. Verse, come down to verse 11, and I saw heaven opened. It might interest you to know that in the book of Revelation, heaven opens three times. Three times. It opens in Revelation 4 for the church. It opens in the middle of the tribulation for the Jews. And it opens here for the whole world to see. Isn't that amazing? Jew, Gentile, and church, everybody will see heaven open at some point. And this is at the end of the age, and heaven opens up. Somebody says, you really believe that? It's in the Word of God, and I want you to know, the God who made heaven and made earth can do anything with it he so chooses to do. So look at the verse. Heaven opens. And behold, a white horse, a picture of purity and power. It's, it was the conqueror's way of arriving on the scene. Behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he did judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Who is this? This is Christ. Christ, that's who this is. Look at him with a crown on his head. Look at him with white garments, but they're blood sprinkled. Do you ever wonder about that? I used to think, well, he's showing up for war. This is not the war of the enemies. There's not even been a battle yet. No, no, the blood is his own blood. It's a reminder that all the victory comes because of what Jesus did for us at the cross. Every bit of it. Look at his names. In verse number 11, he's faithful and true. That's his integrity. In verse number 12, the Bible says there's even a name that nobody knows. Think about that. Of all the names of God and of Christ in the Bible, did you know there's a name God hadn't told us? Somebody said, well, what is it? I don't know. You know what it's a reminder of? With the Lord, he's the infinite God. There's no searching to his understanding. You will never exhaust who our God is. This is the name not only of his integrity, this is the name of his mystery. Then look at verse number 13. He's the Word of God. What's that? That's the name of his deity. If you come across to verse number 16, here's the name of his royalty. He have on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is powerful. The Lord is showing up. What's he coming for? He's coming to take over. That's what he's doing. Look at verse 15. Out of his mouth. Go with a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. This is his judgment. In fact, in verse 17, they come to a supper. 
There's two suppers. There's the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's where we get to go. That's a glad thing. And there's the supper of the great God. Would you like to know the difference between the marriage supper of the Lamb and the supper of the great God? In the marriage supper of the Lamb, those who come are invited people. They, they're the bride. They, they're allowed to participate in it. In the supper of the great God, those who come are the ones being consumed. It's a frightening thing to think what people who've rejected God will face when they finally meet God. Go ahead, laugh at him. Go ahead, curse his name. Go ahead, blaspheme the holy name of Jesus. Go ahead, say there's no truth in the Bible, but someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every dictator, every Hollywood star, every politician, every president, prime minister, and potentate will bow at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus and say he really is who the Bible said that he was. Would you write this down? Not only are we raised and rewarded and received, but we return. We return with him. We're coming back with him. As a matter of fact, come down with me, would you please, to verse number, mm, oh, there's so much here. Uh, Look at verse number 17. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come, gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the house and against, on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with whom he deceived from them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake burning with fire and brimstone. Doesn't sound like much of a battle to me. Watch this, please. When you stand against God, you're on the wrong side. Can I show you something really interesting? I was reading this, Pastor, not long ago, and it dawned on me. When we come back, everybody look at verse 14 again. When we show up with him, we're riding white horses too, and we're in fine linen, white and clean. Did it ever dawn on you when we come back with Jesus, we still have our wedding garments on? How many of you think it seems kind of weird that we're coming to a battle dressed in all white? That doesn't sound like battle fatigues to me. And then it dawned on me, we're not going to be fighting. You really think the Lord needs you to conquer Satan? Look, please. We're coming back with the wedding garments on, and we're just going to stand there and watch as God just says the word. And it's done. Matter of fact, the Bible says he consumes them with the word of his mouth. How did the world get here? How did the world get here? Read Genesis. He spoke and he said, you know, we preachers get pretty artistic, don't we? He flung the stars in space and he carved out the rivers with his fingers. That's not what the Bible says. He just said, light, there was light. He created all of the word. How do people get saved? They hear the word of God and they believe it. They're born again through the word. How will it all come to an end? Through the word of the living God. Somebody said, you believe Christ is coming back? I not only believe Christ is coming back at the end of the age, we're coming back with him. Let's add another to it. We're raised, we're rewarded, we're received, we return. Write this down. We reign. <laughs> Are you getting ready to reign? Somebody said, not me. I, I'm, uh, that's not for me. No, no. If you're a Christian, you're going to reign with him. Look at the opening verses of chapter 20. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him. Anybody else looking forward to the day the devil gets shut up? 
He'd been talking since the Garden of Eden, whispering and telling lies and deceiving people. And God says, that's enough of you, and the Lord's going to shut him up someday. And for 1,000 years, the Lord Jesus is going to rule and reign on this planet. I was just in Jerusalem. I stood on the side of the Mount of Olives, Pastor, looking at the eastern gate. (laughs) There's eight gates around the old city of Jerusalem. Seven of them are open. We entered through Stephen's gate. That's where Stephen was martyred. That's where the lambs were brought in for sacrifice. That's where Jesus entered the city, close to the, to the pool. It, it's an amazing place. But I'm standing now on the Mount of Olives, and I'm looking at the one gate facing the Mount of Olives, where Jesus is going to return to, by the way. And it's sealed. It's closed. It has been for centuries. It's called the Eastern Gate. And the Muslim people of the area said, they knew the prophecy, they knew the scripture, and the Muslim people said, no Jewish Messiah will ever come through this gate. So you know what they did? They put a Muslim cemetery right outside the eastern gate. Thousands of graves there. Can I just tell you, when the God of all life shows up, nothing is going to keep him from walking through that gate, like the Bible says, into that city. He's coming, friends. And he's going to rule and he's going to reign and we're going to rule and reign with him. Write another one down, would you please? We're not only going to reign, we're going to rejoice. I don't have time to preach it all, but do you know what chapter 21 and chapter 22 of Revelation is? You know how the whole story ends? Man, I love this. Get to the end of the story. You think it's bad? Go to the back of the book and read the end of the story. You know what chapter 21 and 22 is? He makes everything new. Look at verse 1, chapter 21. A new heaven, a new earth. Verse 2, a new Jerusalem. Sounds pretty good to me. Chapter 22, verse 1, He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded a fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Let me tell you, the nations need healed. We're in a mess, friends. Only Jesus can straighten this mess out. Only the Prince of Peace can straighten all this out. I love verse 3, and there shall be no more curse. (laughs) No more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. You understand you're going to see the Lord, and you're not only going to see the Lord, you're going to be with the Lord. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to rejoice with him for all eternity. I used to hear preachers preach about heaven, and I honestly, this is going to sound terrible. As a kid, I thought, I'm not sure I really want to go there. Because they get, painted this picture of some guy just kind of floating around on a cloud, strumming a harp for eternity, you know. And I thought, that sounds like the most boring place I've ever been in my life. Be honest, how many of you ever had that mental picture? That's not what it is. Every beautiful thing here will be just eclipsed by the beauty of that place. Every imperfection here made perfect there. Everything that we see a shadow of here, we will see in fully developed form there. I'm going to tell you something. It's a perfect place because our God is a perfect God. I even heard people say, when you get to heaven, you know everything. That's not what the Bible says. It says you will know even as you are known. Can you imagine how boring it would be to get to heaven and know everything the first day you got there? No, no, you're going to spend the rest of eternity going deeper and deeper into who God is. You're never going to exhaust the glory and goodness and grace of Almighty God. That sounds like calls to rejoice to me. But add one more to your list, would you please? In the first resurrection, we, we not only are raised and rewarded and received and return and reign and rejoice, 
Write this one down because this is where we live now. Let's come full circle back to where we are right now. We must get ready. I want everybody to go to the last page of your Bible. The concordance doesn't count, all right? Revelation 22, last verses of the Bible. Three times Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. Verse 7, behold, I come quickly. Verse 12, behold, I come quickly. Verse 20, surely I come quickly. I don't know how it was at your house. At our house, if Mama said it once, we were supposed to listen. If she said it twice, we were really supposed to listen. If she said it three times, it was too late to listen. Amen, mothers? When the Lord says something three times, it's not because he forgot he said it the first time. When God repeats himself, he's repeating himself so we won't forget what he said. Jesus said, I'm coming, and now's the time for you to get ready to see me. I'm going to tell you what everybody in this room is getting ready to do. Everybody in this room is getting ready to see God. Young and old alike, everybody in this room is getting ready to meet God. Only two things matter. You ready? Number one, do you know him personally? I mean by that, not do you know about God. The greatest day of my life. I, look, I was raised around Christianity and had a Bible and got baptized as a boy and the whole thing. The greatest day of my life was the day it finally dawned on me that I was a sinner that couldn't save himself and that I could never do enough good things to get to a perfect heaven. And that's why Jesus came. And that day, for the first time, I said to Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. Look, I didn't have some funny euphoric experience, have a vision in the middle of the night, get a tingle up my spine. I just took God his word. I took Jesus as my Savior. And on that day, he brought me into God's family. And it was the greatest day of my life. Number two, not only that you know him personally, but that you start living for what will matter for eternity. I wish you had time to study the whole passage with you. We work, we wait, we worship, we witness, all of it. It's all right there. Let me just show you one verse, just one verse. Look at verse number 17. You know, at the end of every sermon, we have an invitation where we invite people to join in prayer. I'm going to do that in just a moment. Never dawn on you the whole Bible ends with an invitation? This tells you, this tells you how much God loves sinners. To the very end of the Scriptures, he's inviting people to come to him. Look at verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride, that's Christians, say, what's that word? Didn't hear you. Let's try it again. The spirit and the bride say what? And let him that heareth say, and let him that is a thirst, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. I love this. Jesus says, you want to go to heaven? You want to go to heaven? Come to Jesus. You want to go to the first resurrection? Then come to Christ. And then once you come to Christ, what do you do? You turn around and say to other people who've never come to Christ, look, I came to Christ, now you what? Yeah, you come to Christ. The whole Bible can really be summed up in this word come. That's why Jesus came. To say, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come to Jesus. Listen to him. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Come to Jesus. It's a funny thing, but in my travels every week, I meet lots of people who want to go to heaven someday. They just don't want to come to Jesus today. Now, wait a minute, Christians. I meet a whole lot of people who know they're going to heaven someday that aren't living like it today. You know what we need? We need an old-fashioned revelation revival of what really matters in light of eternity. I have an old book in my library at home 
was looking through it some time ago. I came across a passage. I'm sitting at my desk just reading. It was about the second coming of Christ. And I got to this section, Pastor, and this doesn't normally happen when I'm reading a book. I just started weeping. I don't know that I've ever heard a grander description of where we're living and where we're going. It affected me so profoundly. I took out one of the blank pages in the back of my Bible and wrote it down word for word. I've been carrying it with me. A man by the name of Joseph Seiss said this. Listen carefully. Fiction has painted the picture of a maiden whose lover left her for a voyage to the Holy Land, promising on his return to make her his beloved bride. Many told her that she would never see him again, but she believed his word. And evening by evening, she went down to the lonely shore and kindled there a beacon light in sight of the roaring waves to hail and welcome the returning ship which was to bring again her betrothed. And by that watchfire, she took her stand every night, praying to the winds to hasten on the sluggish sails that he who was everything to her might come. Even so, that blessed Lord who has loved us unto death has gone away to the mysterious holy land of heaven, promising on his return to make us his happy and eternal bride. Some say, some say that he's gone forever and that here we shall never see him more. But his last word was, Yea, I come quickly. And on the dark and misty beach, sloping out into the eternal sea, each true believer stands by the love-lit fire, looking and waiting and praying and hoping for the fulfillment of his work in nothing gladder than in his pledge and promise and calling ever from the soul of sacred love, even so come Lord Jesus. And some of these nights, some of these nights while the world is busy with its frivolities and laughing at the maiden on the shore, a form shall rise over the surging waves as once on Galilee to vindicate forever all this watching and devotion and bring to the faithful and constant heart a joy and glory and triumph which nevermore shall end. And I came to tell you, Jesus is coming. And if you know him, you're going. And if you're going, you better be trying to get some other people to go with us. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? We come tonight in the beautiful name of Jesus and through the sweet work of the Holy Spirit, we praise you. I love the gospel, Lord. I love it. It changed my heart. It is changing my heart. And to see it changing the hearts of others, it, there's nothing like it. Just nothing like it. Thank you. Thank you for these precious ones who've come tonight professing their faith in Christ. May they leave with newfound assurance of their eternal life. But Father, I want to pray tonight for every Christian in this room that you will reorder our priorities and help us become the eternity-conscious Christians we ought to be. It's just two nights, Lord, just two nights. But God in heaven forbid that it just be another meeting. May it set in motion a spiritual chain reaction 
continues until we meet in heaven together. Lord, we look forward to the first resurrection. And we thank you for your own. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said,